You know, uh, there's just a simple truth that God wants to get a hold of tonight. And it seems almost too simple. But the truth is this. You know, I've been following Jesus for, oh, God knows how many years. I'm that old. And every day it seems I discover there is still so much more of him to discover. That we have just scratched the surface of knowing Jesus. So the question becomes, how do we get to know him more if there's so much more of him? And tonight, if you're open for it, if you have the faith for it and maybe the humility for it, God wants to challenge us that there is still so much more that he wants you to know about him. Let me pray. Jesus, I thank you for each person who you brought here tonight. I thank you for their life. I thank you that you walk with them. So now, Lord, would you speak to us? Would you teach us and transform us? We want to know you more, Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Paul was one of the greatest leaders there was, one of the greatest Christians there was. And yet in Philippians 3, verse 7, here's what he said. Whatever I thought was helping me be successful in life, I know was a detriment to knowing Christ. I consider everything a loss compared to the greatest value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He says, listen, this is what really matters. This is the greatest value of knowing Jesus. This is what really, really matters. But here's the deal. In life, you don't have to live that many years to discover that life takes work. For those of you who are in university, it takes effort to be successful in university. When you get a job, it takes effort to be successful in your career. When you get married, a marriage takes effort if you're going to have a successful marriage. When you have kids, it takes really a lot of effort to have a successful family. Life takes effort. And sometimes because we know his love is free and his grace is free, we forget, you want to know Jesus? It takes effort. Peter said in 1 Peter 5, make every effort to add to your faith. Don't miss an opportunity. Don't miss a moment. But make every effort that's available to add to your faith. Make sure your effort is in the right place. Because the effort is not about a religion. He doesn't say make every effort to add to your religion so that you look better. His love is free. His grace is free. But he says, no, make every effort. And Paul says it is about a relationship. Jesus did not come to this earth to bring religion. He did not come to this earth to improve religion. He came to this earth to end religion so that everybody could have a relationship with God. He says, now you make every effort that is there so that you can have a relationship with Jesus. And every relationship is in one of three stages. You're either launching into a relationship because you don't know the person and you want to get to know the person, so you are launching into a relationship, or you're deepening a relationship. I have a friend, I know him well, but I'd like to get to know him better, so I'm going to go deeper in that relationship. Or you're restoring a relationship. I used to know them, but then something happened, and our relationship broke, and I need to have it restored. 
And just like every relationship we have with each other is either launching, deepening, or restoring, it's the same thing with Jesus. Some of you are here tonight, and you're ready to launch a relationship. Don't really know him, haven't really been in church very long, but I want to launch a relationship with Jesus. I want to know who he is. I'd like to get to know him. Some of you are here, and you're in that other category. I've been following Christ for a while, for years, but I don't want to coast. I don't want to know Jesus at the same level a year from now that I knew him last year. I want to deepen that relationship. And then there are some of you who are here, and if you're really honest, you'd say, I used to know Jesus, but I went through a crisis and a hardship. And there was kind of a separation. And I feel like I don't know him that well anymore, and I want to see that restored. Paul knew how important this thought of knowing Jesus and making every effort to know Jesus is for all that Jesus has for us, that he wrote an entire chapter on this in Philippians chapter 3 that we're going to look at to understand what is the effort I could do to begin to tap into so much more of what Jesus has. So open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to start by looking at what Paul says. Here's what he says in verse 10. He says, I want to know the power of Christ's resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so then I will experience the resurrection. Paul says, you want to make an effort to know Jesus? Start with the effort he made to know you. It doesn't begin with your effort. It begins with his effort and what he did on the cross. That is the starting point for everybody if you're going to know Jesus. He says, I want to know the power. Some of you are here and you're thinking about launching into a relationship with Jesus. And you have tried on your own power to find an identity. Your own power to find a security in who you are. And yet you know you feel powerless. Knowing Jesus is not just a lifestyle or philosophy of life. Paul says there is a power that's available through the cross, a divine power where you have a security in your identity. You know who you are, and it doesn't just come from yourself. It comes from this divine power that's in you, but it doesn't end there. He says, not only do I want to know this divine power, I want to participate in the sufferings. Because he says, if you want to launch into it, there is a power in the cross. But if you want to go deeper with Jesus, it's almost as if there's a second conversion you need to go through. Every Christian goes through two conversions. The first conversion is when you look at the cross through the lens of your own need. Your need for a savior. Your need for a provider. Your need for a loving father. And you accept Jesus based on your need and you're a recipient of that. And it's an amazing thing. But if you want to go deeper with Jesus... Then you have this second conversion when you look at the cross through the needs of other people. And you're no longer a recipient, but now you're a giver. And you are giving to them unconditional love and sacrificial love. And you are now extending that to them the way Jesus did. But here's what takes place. When you put yourself in a place to love and care for hurting people, you're going to get hurt. Because hurting people hurt people. It's the only emotional response that they know how to do. And you're going to get flack on that. When you put yourself in the place of Christ to be loving to a family member who's cynical about your faith. When you put yourself like Christ to coworkers or neighbors. You put yourself in harm's way. 
And there's a tendency to remove yourself from that. Play it safe. Stay within the Christian kind of bubble. But here's what Paul's saying. You want to go deeper with Jesus? you got to participate in his sufferings. You have to experience the suffering he experienced when you love other people. Because when you do that, here's what takes place. When you do that, you will draw on his grace in a far greater way. When you give yourself and then you are hurt by people, you will draw on his love in a much greater way and you will discover more of Jesus. Protecting yourself from a hurting world does not deepen your relationship with Jesus. He says, I want to experience those sufferings so I can get to know him more. But he says, I also want to experience his resurrection. Because there are some of you in here who need to see that relationship restored. Here's what can take place sometimes. You may have gone into a church and you heard the story of Jesus on the cross, but you never really heard the story of Jesus out of the tomb. And so it kind of goes like this. He died on the cross for you, you now better behave. And salvation is not freedom, salvation is probation. And a weight comes on your shoulders that God never asked you to carry. And every time you stumble, and every time you make a mistake, you think about what he did and what a horrible person you are. And you get to a place where you go, I can't handle this anymore. And Paul says, if you want to be restored, you have to know that the cross is empty. That there is a living Jesus who loves you and wants to be present for you right now in every way. He says, make every effort, but it doesn't begin with your effort. It begins with his effort and what he did. Now, once we know what he did and we accept that and we embrace that, now we can make our effort. Look at what he says in verse 13. Forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul says, you want to get to know him? Here's the effort you got to forget what's behind. For those of you who are launching into a relationship with him, if you take your past with you, it will pull you down. Every time you want to get to know Jesus, you will be reminded of your past activity and your past mistakes, and it will just pull you down. And Paul says, you got to forget that. Think of what Paul had to forget. He put Christians in prison. He was responsible for the death of Christians. He knew, I got to forget this, and you may be here tonight, and you're going, Joel, but you don't know my past. How on earth can I forget that? Here's how you forget it. The Bible teaches us that God forgot it. And if God has forgiven it, he gives you permission to forget it. It's like this weird kind of ironic thing. The one thing we know that God doesn't know is our past. He's forgotten it. And true forgiveness is knowing he's forgotten this. So if I'm going to launch into it, i got to forgive my, forget my past. But he says, you've got to strain ahead. Now think of Paul in writing this. He has been a Christian for more than 25 years. He has already written much of the New Testament. He has done incredible acts of faith, great sacrifice. He has had revelation from heaven. He's gone to the third heaven. And here's what he says, I'm not there yet. I haven't gotten there yet. Don't be fooled. Don't think I'm there. There is still so much more. And if you're here, and like me, you've been at it for a while, it's really good to hear from Paul. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I'm not there yet. Yeah. 
And if you want to go deeper, it comes with this recognition. I'm not there. I got to strain ahead. Do you remember the story in the New Testament where Jesus is in the boat with the disciples and there's a big storm? And he's in the back of the boat sleeping. And they run to him kind of all panicked. Don't you care if we're going to drown? And he stands up. And he calms the ocean. And he calms the storm. And that story ends with a question. The question is given by the disciples. And here's the question. They go, who is this man? We thought we had him figured out. We thought we knew him. We've heard his teachings. We've seen him do other stuff. And then he does this. Who is this guy? When was the last time you went to bed? And because Jesus showed himself to you in such a new way, after years and years of following him, that question was on your mind. Who is this guy? I thought I knew him. I've been following him for 20 years. I've read his word. And now this happens? Who is this guy? And Paul says, here's the effort you have to make. You have to strain ahead, meaning you have to reposition yourself. As a Christian, you've got to say, in this position I'm in, I have tapped into everything that's going to be tapped into this position. I've got to reposition myself so that I will discover something new. I've got to strain ahead to a different position. What does that look like? A friend of mine came to me, he says, Joel, I've been following Christ for 15 years, but I feel like I've kind of plateaued. How do I get to know Jesus better? You wanted to go deeper. So I told him, you've got to reposition yourself. I said, do you serve in the church? He goes, no, right now I'm not serving in the ministry. I said, serve in a ministry. That's repositioning yourself. He comes back to me three months later. He says, you wouldn't believe what I did. I said, what? He said, I volunteered in the church ministry. I said, which ministry? He said, children. I went, you're crazy. I know kids and what they're like. He said, no, 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 you're all wrong. For the last three months, every Sunday, I get together with boys and girls who are five, six, and seven years old, and I teach him about Jesus. And then he went on to talk about all the new ways Jesus had showed himself to himself because he was repositioned in a different place. And there is a challenge to this. If you are in the same position, you will saturate. you got to reposition yourself, and then you'll have this question, who is this guy? Paul says, wait a minute, I forget the past, so I can launch into a relationship. I reposition myself, I strain forward, so I can go deeper in this way, but I need to press on. Some of you are here, and I'm so grateful you're here. But it's almost a miracle that you came. Because here's what happens in the church sometimes. For whatever reason, you show up and you become a part of the church and somehow you go through a crisis. Somebody in the church may have hurt you. You may have had a crisis in your life. And when you have a crisis, here's what can take place. Despair can set in because of that crisis. And if you don't know how to navigate it, despair turns into separation. And separation turns into isolation. And some of us know people who used to come to Church Unlimited, and now they don't anymore. And the relationship has been broken, and it needs to be restored. And here's what Paul says. There are going to be times in your life when you will face a crisis. That's when you have to make the choice. I'm going to press on. I am not going to let the crisis stop me and remove me and isolate me, but I will press on. And there is a model of this that we can learn from in the New Testament. Peter perhaps had the worst crisis anybody could ever have. He betrayed Jesus. You can't imagine the despair. 
You can't imagine the potential for separation and isolation. But I love how the story goes. The moment Peter hears that the tomb is empty, the very first thing he does is run as fast as he can to the tomb. He does not remove himself. He does not isolate himself. He says, no, i got to figure out what's going on. I am going to press on. Paul says, hardship will come. Christians may hurt you. You may have a crisis. But if you want that restored, you got to press on. You cannot let that separate you. That's the effort you make, and Jesus will show himself. That hurt, he will heal. That separation, he will bring back together. Because of the cross, we can make an effort. And our effort is to forget the past, to reposition and strain forward and to press in. And then he goes on. Look what he says in verse 16. Let us live up to what we have already attained. Now, this is an amazing kind of perplexing statement. He's saying, listen, you want to follow Jesus? Fantastic. But you don't get to decide what that looks like. Let us live up to a standard that has been established And I'll explain it in a minute. He adds this phrase because he doesn't want us to get confused where he says, you've actually attained it, but we got to live up to it. There's got to be this level where we realize to be a follower of Christ, here is the level by which I live my life. Now, I've already attained it, but he says, no, you got to live up to it. When you read through the New Testament, what you discover is everybody in the New Testament had one of three responses to Jesus. They hated him, they feared him, or they fanatically worshipped him. Nobody in the New Testament said, he's okay as a teacher. I'll take some of his life principles. Nobody in the New Testament moderately followed him. They feared him because he was turning their worlds upside down. They hated him because he was a threat to their identity. Or they said, in Jesus, in here is where I find life. And they fanatically worshipped him. And there was no moderate approach. And Paul draws on that in this verse where he says, you got to live up. He's basically saying, you want to know Jesus and all that he has for him? You have got to become fanatical. You have to genuinely be fanatical. Now, here's what the problem is. There's nothing more obnoxious than a fanatical Christian. Because in our mind, we think of somebody on the street corner with a sign that says, the end is coming, repent or die. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The effort you make to know Jesus in being fanatical, be fanatically humble. Be fanatically compassionate. Be fanatical in embracing all people. Be fanatical in your love for the world. That's the fanaticalness that Paul says, listen, you got to live up to this standard. You're here and you want to deepen your relationship. You can't be moderate. You got to have this fanaticism, but it's not expressed by being on the corner with a sign. It's how you live out Christ in you in this way. But then he says, but you've already attained it. Because here's what Paul's nervous about. He's afraid that we'll read this and go, wow, I got to be a fanatic for Jesus. We begin to do stuff and we fall into the temptation of thinking that's what will prove to Jesus I am who he wants me to be. And will fall into a work. So he says, listen, I'm telling you, you've already attained it. He doesn't want us to have the danger of performance. It's like he does this. He says, here's the gold medal. Now go run the race. 
I'm giving you the gold medal so you don't have to perform. Now go run the race. But here comes the challenge. If I got the gold medal, I don't need to run. I'll just trot. Because I've already got the gold medal. And we take grace and we can make it cheap. How do you stop yourself from not trotting if you already have the gold medal? If your mindset is around religion, which is how do I perform for God, and God gives you the gold medal, then you can trot. But if your mindset is around a relationship, how do I get to know the person of Jesus, the gold medal just liberates you. I can run as fast as I can run, but I don't have the stress of having to win because he already won for me. And there is a liberty in your pursuit of Jesus. I can pray for two hours or for two minutes. I've already got the gold medal. And there is a freedom to pray a lot more and press in because I'm not performing for him. I'm getting to know him in this relationship. Paul says, you got to live up to this standard. Whether you're launching into something, I don't really know him, but I'd like to get to know him. He says, there's power in the cross, and you will be secure in who you are. You forget the past because God's forgotten it. And he gives you this gold medal already so you have the freedom to live according to his design. If you're deepening it, he says, you got to participate in the sufferings. Because as you give yourself to hurting people, you will lean more into his grace and his love. And you got to reposition yourself so that once again, after many years, you can say, who is this guy? Who is he for me? And he gives you the gold medal so you can get to know him. And if you're here to be restored, because you had a relationship, but something got in the way of it, and there's just a separation. Nobody around you may even know about it, but in your heart, you know there's this separation. Paul says, there is a living Jesus no longer on the cross. And this living Jesus wants to come to you. And he wants to show you an amazing love if you will press into him. And you've already attained this love because of his goodness and his grace. Paul says, there's one more thing, though, that's incredibly important. If you're going to make the effort to know him, look at verse 17. He says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Paul is basically saying this. If you think you can get to know all of Jesus on your own, you're fooling yourself. If you think you can kind of hide out in your house with your Bible in your prayer closet all by yourself and tap into everything he has for you, you were not designed to pursue Jesus alone. And he says, if you're going to make the effort, here's what you have to do. You have to join together. If you're here and you want to launch into a relationship with Jesus, Paul says the most critical thing, join together, you got to let people love you. You have to allow people into your life and you have to let them love you because that's how Jesus will show himself to you. And he himself is our example. Remember the night before he's going to die? He takes his disciples into the garden. He says, pray for me. But he takes three of them, Peter, James, and John, farther up the garden. And here's what he says to them. My soul is full of anguish to the point of death. Joel's revised version, guys, this is really hard for me. 
And the Son of God himself makes himself vulnerable. The Son of God himself is transparent to Peter, James, and John. If the Son of God himself thought that this idea of vulnerability and transparency is a good thing for him, surely we can see why Paul would say, you got to do this. You got to join together. If you're going to launch into a relationship with Jesus, you cannot launch into this alone. You've got to let yourself be loved. And then he adds this phrase of, you got to keep your eyes on others who live as we do. And he kind of brings in this dimension that in the body together, you will discover Jesus by role models. For some of you who are here and you've been at this for a while, you want to go deeper with Jesus? The principle that Paul would teach you is you got to become a role model. Some of you here and you're 26 years old and you've known him for 10 years, there's a 14-year-old who desperately needs your influence. And when you become that role model for them, you discover more of Jesus. You become that influencer that can show people to Christ. Twice a month, I get together with about 18 or 20, I call them my young punks because I'm so old, but they're like between, they're in their 20s. Southern California, we get together for coffee for an hour and a half, twice a month. Some of them are saved. Some of them are Christian-ish. I'm not quite sure where they're at, but they're Christian-ish. They're not pastors. And we sit down for twice a month, hour and a half, and we talk about life. We talk about faith. And I get it. They see me as a role model, and they appreciate the fact that I would carve that time out for them. But can I tell you, every single time I go home after that hour and a half, my wife will tell you the first thing out of my mouth is how much I discovered about Jesus for myself by sitting with those young guys, by talking with them. But for those of you who are here and you need to be restored, this can happen. We gotta talk honestly about this. You can be in a church and you can get hurt in that church. And when you get hurt in that church, the tendency can be to remove yourself and to begin to put a look at the entire church with one judgment. I was talking to a guy who used to go to the church I go to in California. He doesn't go there anymore. I said, John, I haven't seen you for a while. He goes, no, I don't go to Cottonwood anymore. I said, really, why not? He goes, oh, everybody in that church is judge judgmental. I said, that sounds a little judgmental, doesn't it? <laughs> he had been hurt, and all of a sudden he generalized. And Paul is saying, gang, for those of you who have been hurt, I'm really sorry, but there's really good people in the church still. There's really wonderful people. See the really good people, not the few that can make it work. See them and know that they are there for you because Jesus had this prayer. May they be one. And if you're one of those who, because of a legitimate hurt, have removed yourself, I'll show up on a weekend or a Sunday night. You are the answer to Jesus' prayer. You're the very answer in bringing that sense of unity that says, okay, I'm going to bring healing into this. Paul says you start with the cross and what he has done. And you get a hold of his effort. Then you make the effort to know him and to live up to a standard, even though you've already attained that. And you do that together. And then he gives this great promise for us that our effort will actually be rewarded. Look at verse 20. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. You make the effort. That effort's going to be rewarded. He says, listen, our citizenship, you got to learn this. you got to discover this. We don't belong here. If you're here and you're going, I'm thinking about launching into a relationship with Jesus, I want to tell you honestly what will happen. The things of this world that used to fulfill you will not be as fulfilling anymore. The things that used to bring you a lot of joy and pleasure will not bring you joy and pleasure because as the more you pursue Jesus, the more you're going to discover, I wasn't made for this world, I was made for another world. And when you know that, you can begin to pursue Jesus in that way. But he says, we eagerly await. If you're here and you want to go deeper, Paul says, you've got to live not just within these 80 years, but you've got to live with a sense of eternity that influences every decision you make. Now, for somebody like me, that's easy because I'm in my 50s. When you're in your 50s, living for the return of Christ, not too hard. When you're in your 60s, it's really easy. But when you're in your 20s, it seems like a lifetime away. It's so far away, it's not on your mind. Paul wrote this other letter, and he's what he said to the Christians when he was talking about this. He says, if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are most to be pitied. If my hope in Christ is just that he'll get me the job, if my hope in Christ is just that he'll take care of my bills, if my hope in Christ is just for this life, Paul says, wow, you are going to miss out on so much more of Jesus. He wants to show himself to you, but the way you do that is you eagerly await a Savior. So when I live out my life, whether I'm in uni choosing a career, whether I'm in my 40s raising a family, whether I'm in my 60s in this last seasonal push, I live out my life with a sense he's coming back every choice I make. Every word I speak is in light of there's a whole nother life coming, a whole nother kingdom. And I want to press in. I don't want to get to heaven and not recognize Jesus. Are you him? Are you him? Are you him? Everybody's got beards. Who is Jesus? He says, no. We eagerly await. And that shapes our decision making today. And this is where the challenge really comes in for us. Are you eagerly awaiting? Are you saying, I will take on the sufferings of Christ on the cross because I'll go deeper. I will reposition myself so that I can have that question, who is this guy? I want to live with that question because of the experience I have with Jesus. Who is this guy? I will make myself vulnerable to a few people, safe spiritual relationships that stretch me. I will be a role model to some because through all of that, I'm going to discover more of Jesus. I will make that effort. Here's the deal. You don't have to do that. You still get to go to heaven. His grace is so good that you can say, no, nah, I don't think so. And you'll still have an eternity with him. But if you want to know him today, make every effort to add to your faith. And I don't say that with any judgment. I don't say that with any condemnation. 
I say that with a promise. When Paul said, I'm not there yet, he was not feeling guilty. No, his grace. He was feeling hopeful. There's so much more of Jesus that I can't even tell you what I don't know. I just know that there's so much more. So I will make any effort based upon what I do know and how much more there's coming. I've been married 33 years, which is a really long time. But all of them in a row, so I'm very proud of that. They're all in a row, all 33 years. There was no interruption in it whatsoever. 32 of them were happy. The first one was a little shaky, but we got through it. 33 years. On our 20th anniversary, I'm talking to a friend of mine, true story. And this friend said, Joel, you, you've been married 20 years. I said, yeah. He said, your wife is amazing. I said, oh, she's amazing. He said, you, you could kind of make any mistakes and she would still be there for you, wouldn't she? I said, yeah. She's proven herself. I could make any mistakes and she would be there for me. He said, she's just unbelievable. I said, you can't imagine how unbelievable she is. And then he looked at me and he said, so are you coasting? And I said, what do you mean by that? He said, well, you've got this wife who you're completely secure in, who you know will never abandon you, she'll never leave you, she'll never forsake you, she will always be there with you. Are you pursuing her as much now as you did 21 years ago? At first I was like really offended. <laughs> and then when my pride settled down, I thought, you know, he's right. He's right. I am pursuing my wife a lot less now than I did 21 years ago because I'm so secure in her relationship with me. And I thought, this can happen for us as Christians. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will always be there with us. And we become really secure. I was really glad that I had a friend who loved me enough to ask me an honest question. And he looked at me and here's what he said. He said, do you need to up your game? Do you need to up your game? He was dead right. And the last 13 years of my marriage has been so much greater. I've gotten to know my wife in ways so amazingly because I made every effort. So it is with an incredible spirit of love and no condemnation. I am not a guest speaker in this church. I'm a brother. I'm an uncle. Can I ask you a question? Here's the question I have for you. Do you need to up your game? Are you pursuing like you did that first year? Because it's easy to coast. There's no condemnation. The grace is so great that you've already got the gold medal. But you may be missing out on the intimacy of the Son of God in ways you cannot even begin to imagine. Some of you are here and you're thinking about launching into a relationship. If Paul was here, he would say, go for it. It's the best decision you could ever make. But start at the cross. Don't do it alone. Let him love you through other people. Be secure in that. Some of you are here, and you need to be restored. And you know it. You've been separate. Something has severed that. And Paul would say, I'm so glad you're here. 
have a little bit of courage to let him love you through his church. He's a living Jesus. And even though you may have been hurt by a Christian, let him love you through really good Christians who are here in Church Unlimited. And most of us, I would think, are here, and we go, I know him. I've been in a relationship with him. But it's time to go deeper. And he will be incredibly faithful, but I have to make an effort. I have to make a choice to do that. I, if buying five tickets to New Zealand and beyond means somehow I will discover more of Jesus, I'll make that effort. If it doesn't happen, I still made the effort, and God will honor that. I'm going to make the effort. I'm going to participate in his sufferings. I'm going to reposition myself so I discover a new Jesus. I'm going to join together be that influence. I'm going to live fanatically humble and compassionate and loving and grace-filled with an eternity in mind. And if I make that effort, led by His Spirit, you have no idea. You have no idea all that Jesus wants to show you when you make that effort. Would you bow your heads with me, please? I'm going to ask Pastor Talk to come up here, and he's going to close this. But I want you to just take a minute with a living Jesus. He's not on the cross. He resurrected. Whichever category you're in, just take a minute to talk to him. If this is new for you, talking to somebody who's invisible seems a little funky, just try it. You may be surprised how real he will be to you right in this moment. And you're going to say, I want to launch. I want to know you, Jesus. I don't know you. I want to know you. I want to know you better than I know anybody. If you're here and you need to be restored and you have been hurt, tell him about that hurt. Be honest. He'll listen to you and he will show you that he understands. Ask him for the courage to be willing to re-engage and be healed. And if you're here and you're in that category like I am, or I need to deepen, have the humility to listen to the question. Do you need to up your game? No condemnation, no guilt. Do you need to up your game so that you will make every effort to add to your faith? Just take a moment. Talk to Jesus.